0: Want, I
1: can give it to you, your false state is my mind. What you want, I can give it to you. Your false, your false Hey everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, or maybe you've been listening for a long time, but you just haven't been paying attention, then my name is Johnny Morrison, and as always, with us is our co-host, <laughs> Christian Surge. <laughs>
0: You know, you never surprise me with some of those jokes. Hey, everyone. For the next 23 minutes, (laughs) I just can't even think now. (laughs) That was really good. But that's right. For the next 23 minutes or so, we're going to have a conversation about current events, culture, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. Mm. How you doing, Johnny?
1: You know, I'm pretty good. Uh, I heard this was true of you, but Tori got her second dose of the vaccine uh, this week, so she was out for a bit, but is feeling pretty good now. So our home, our home is fully vaccinated. That's a thing to celebrate.
0: That's a big deal. What? Which one did you
1: get? I did Pfizer. She did Pfizer. Also, that's what we were okay. able to do.
0: I got my second shot two days ago, but the night before that, I had this dream. It's really crazy. I dreamt that I was in this room, and there were about 100 people. They were spaced six feet apart, and there were nurses just giving shots everywhere, and there were people on computers. And the nurse walks up to me, and she's about, I don't know, what I would say, four feet because I'm sitting down. She's looking him in the eye. She's wearing black scrubs. She asked me what arm I want to get before she before I'm able to answer. She's on the left side of me, and she takes the top part of my shoulder, and she shoots the needle in and slips, and it bends, and it just like jabs some kind of nerve, and my whole arm goes numb. And it wakes me up out of a dead sleep, and I'm like, oh, my arm. And you know nothing's happening, because I just woke up, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I just had this crazy dream. Now this, I don't know what this is, but maybe the Reverend can give me some clarity on this. I went to get my second shot. I show up in the room. There are a hundred people, lines everywhere and six feet apart. And there's all kinds of nurses. The nurse walks up to me and I kid you not, I'm looking at her in the eye and she's wearing black scrubs, just like my dream. She asked me what shoulder I wanted in. And before I could answer, She's over on the left side, pinching the left shoulder. She's like, is this okay? And I'm like, uh, I'm thinking, oh crap, I dreamed this. Is she going to like slip and stab me in the neck or something? So she's pulling at the shoulder on the bottom of my shoulder. And I'm like, okay, great. All of a sudden, she shoots the top of my shoulder and she slips. The needle kind of bends or something. And I feel this huge pain. She jerks the, the, the vaccine in. And all of a sudden, my left two fingers all the way up my arm, this huge pain, and they go tingly, almost numb. Wild. And as she walks, I said, um, hey, I, I dreamt that this would happen. And <laughs> she looked at me with this really creepy look, like I was the biggest creep. Huh? She goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, it does really hurt. She's like, I'm sorry. I kind of slipped on the tail end of that. I'm like, yeah, you think? So uh, yeah, my arm went numb. I don't know if that means that I huh. had, if I foretold that, if I made it happen, Mm. or if it actually, I don't know. Huh.
1: I mean, I was I was going to say that a lot of the things you dreamed, I think, would be true of everybody's vaccine experience. So that, but the part about the vaccine getting, like, bent and um,
0: your arm going a little bit, like, numb, that is pretty weird. It's really weird. And if you don't believe me, you can ask anyone in my family, because I told them the dream, and then it happened, and they were like, no way. Huh. Yeah, Wild. I really wanted to prepare for this today but I couldn't read your article Johnny it wasn't it wasn't about. that
1: long it wasn't <laughs> that complicated this is I feel like that's on you I think you just didn't want to read it
0: no no I did it's just that I've read too many of my, I've read my allotment of a, the Atlantic articles it's blocked me on every account that
1: oh
0: I you want I see you like tried but you just weren't allowed. I, I try, but like you can only read like four articles a month and I don't subscribe yep. to The Atlantic. I do subscribe to a couple of news outlets, but you know they're like a dollar a week. So yeah. I'm, I'm up to like $5
1: a week. I think you'll get the gist of it without having read it. So this is an article okay. from The Atlantic. It's an opinion piece called Exit Strategy, and it's talking about the news that Joe Biden just declared that we will be removing all troops from Afghanistan on September 11th of mm. 2021. And the article is just reflecting on that decision and sort of like a moral existential level and even kind of pressing back on the kinds of arguments that we're hearing in culture from the right or from the left that's saying, we know what will happen. And he's like, we do, we don't know. We're like too close to the situation to really evaluate it, but here are some things that are true. Um, and as I was reading the article and I, I have been thinking about this since Biden declared the news that we would be withdrawing troops, which, you know, Trump talked about and did in some ways but so also did Obama and even so did Bush like that we've been talking about this for four presidents of withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and are just now committing to it and we'll see if it actually happens. This is America's longest running war. Many people who are fighting in it today were not alive when it was initiated. And so it's just we kind of like that got me thinking about the nature of American interventionism, the nature of this war. And so I think that's, that's the gist of this article. So you don't have to have read it to get, to ask those kinds of questions. But it made me think Christian, like, what do you think? Just as you reflect on this decision, like have we learned anything from this, like the America's longest war, like, can we evaluate the cost? And maybe the, the question that's least important for us to decide, cause we don't have any decision-making power. Like, is this the right move to withdraw troops from this moment?
0: This kind of thing takes me back to when Bush W. was president, and I was a real big proponent of just going into Baghdad and just destroying, just blowing them to shit. And that's what I felt. I was like, somebody's got to pay, and it's them. And so when Bush declared war in on Baghdad, and they marched in, I felt so proud. And And I'm ashamed of that. Mm. I don't think that war is... The answer. I have I think I've learned from that. But when I see the idea that, like, I just feel like this is a complicated subject. It's a complicated thing to pull people out of an area after we've been there, after the people have relied mm-hmm. on us to provide safety, to allow women to be educated, to allow them to have jobs. You know, because Afghanistan, it's like, Uh, Worse than it was in the 1850s where women couldn't work and they were pretty much just property. People still live like that. And so the fear, I think, of going out and just pulling out and then just not supporting them or doing anything is dangerous for them. And if I'm concerned about the other and the other person, then I should be concerned about that. So it feels really complicated to me.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that answered it, your question, but... No, I mean, it is really complicated. I've been thinking about that because you have an uneasy and probably like just kind of mythological piece with the Taliban. The country of Afghanistan is divided in terms of like Taliban-controlled territories that have never stopped controlling territories or have reseized seized territories since the initial invasion. And then you have like Muhammad um, Karzai's like government and like the... You know, democratic people of Afghanistan that control some of the country. And it's, and then you have influences of Pakistan, and you have such a divided, such a tensious, such a kind of intense moment. And so I've, I have thought the same thing for a long time, like that pulling troops felt like a really risky proposition. But I've been thinking about it today and this week more and more. um, And I felt a little bit challenged because I don't believe and I've said this on the show before, like I don't believe that violence solves problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then in this moment, I'm hesitant to suggest pulling troops out of Afghanistan because I am worried, I think at the very bottom of everything, that if you don't have violent actors, then violence will still win out at the end of the day. And that felt very challenging to me. Um, Do I actually believe that Violence is somehow solving some of the problems here, and I think mm-hmm. if I'm honest intellectually, I think yeah, troops probably should be taken out because I do, I think at an intellectual level I'm start, I can wrestle with this reality that I don't think that they're actually establishing peace in that country. I don't think that they are um, furthering American interests. I don't think that we're protecting our own troops' lives by being there.
0: Right, uh, and, I, and
1: I don't know how another you know however many how many other presidents we have to do this through for us to learn a lesson that military force in a country isn't solving the problem.
0: Well, boy, that's violence doesn't solve a problem. We're going to talk more about that later, but I think that it's really interesting when I think about what you just said, I think it's really important. What are the right and the left saying? What, what are politics mm-hmm. trying to politic and push us to the right or left? They're trying to, you know, it seems like the, the GOP tries to make it an existential threat to our society and the Democrats tend to uh, take it as a, or push it as a existential threat to our, our families or personal space, I think it's an existential threat to all of it. I -hmm. think that it is a threat to our way of life if we become warmongers or just continue this war. But I mean, if you remember, Mm -hmm. Trump wanted to pull them out too. Mm -hmm. He said, we're gonna pull them out by April 1st or whatever, January 1st, right? It didn't happen, but he wanted to, to pull them out. Something to consider. I've never been to Iraq. I've never been to Mosul. I was, we were getting ready to head there. And then the company that I was gonna send me there decided that it wasn't like really safe. And we had a a CIA agent actually come to us and say, you shouldn't go to Mosul Mm. and do what you're doing. Maybe he had a hand in not approving our visas, but it got blocked after he said, Mm. you shouldn't go. But I have been to a place where Al-Shabaab was uh, only a hundred miles away. Some of their strongholds in Somalia And went through these countries that are uber poor. And the world has used them for their resources. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this like pile of used up poor. And when I mean poor, I mean poor beyond what you can imagine. Like goats dying because all they have to eat are plastic bags. The terrorists, as we call them, the terrorists, they provide some sort of hope. For some of these people. Mm-hmm. They don't come through on that. They continue to hold them, but they, they say, if you support us, we're going to take care of you. And so, the people become loyal to them, but then they also enforce all of their crazy rules on them, mm-hmm. and then also kidnap and rape and murder and do all those other kinds of things. So it's a mess. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. And it's not it's it's actually really scary. If you value your life or the lives of others, it's really scary. So I don't know what to do. I think we shouldn't have violence. I think we should try to figure out how to solve it another way. And I don't know yeah. what that way is.
1: Well, and I think you named this a, a bit ago, like Afghanistan specifically has been a war ground for so long. I mean, the, the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan that were involved in Afghanistan post that moment in kind of like a non, not as aggressive military way as the invasion, but you just never stop. So from like the eighties and the cold war all the way to now and 40 years, 40 years of like nonstop conflict. And this is where we are today. And you know, Obama had the surge in his first term that sent more troops there thinking that that would solve some kind of problem that would push back the Taliban. And then again, like now here we are again. So it's like, I think we've actually even seen, like we have a test case scenario. like, what happens when we do 40 years of conflict in a zone? What happens when we try it different ways? What happens when we surge that conflict? Does it solve the problems? Like, almost like empirically, you could be like, well, no, like look at where we are. It's not solving any problems. And it's not the option. I think like sometimes there's a misnomer in terms of the way this is talked about pol- politically. Removing troops doesn't mean America's no longer involved in Afghanistan. Like that's not going to happen. There's too many interests. $2 trillion was spent. The question is how are we involved? And can we be involved in a way that is like uh, rooted around nonviolent policies, whether that's like democracy building or the civil service departments of the government being more invested or the internal development funds? Like there's other ways in which the United States government's invested. But I, I even read a report that was that they may be removing troops from Afghanistan itself, but they'll most likely move that base to just another neighboring country that's more comfortable with uh, the existence of troops and troops will still be near to like step in whatever. So even though that's like, we're talking about it politically as though we're removing troops, like we're only sort of removing troops from the, from the region.
0: Okay. I see, I see where you're going. I see you were going. Um, Isn't there something about like part of me just goes, yeah, we should go, and part of me is like, no, no, we have to stop the spread of communism. I don't know where I learned that. I think it was like, or stop the spread of dictatorship. Was it like the communist act of 1950s or something? Yeah. Where it's like, it, was that what it was? Where like, we we wanted to, if, if there was a country that was going to turn from free to communists or authoritarianism or fascism, that we wanted to stop it. And that still hangs in me, man. I still totally. want that.
1: Oh, I totally. don't want
0: that. So I do. I want to go blow them away. I want to go blow away every terrorist and every uh, insurgent, any of those bad names. I want to blow them away.
1: I mean, our the problem is you, like you're totally right in where you're naming it from. Like that is for sure a product of the Cold War when we're at war against Russia and we're like moving foreign policy-wise against Russia. But like our track record of installing democratic governments or halting the spread of like quote unquote <laughs> fascist communism is so bad. Like <laughs> so Gaddafi. Terrible. Um, the common me in Iran, like Iran had a secular, a secular government until America participated in its overthrow to install a religious yep. dictatorship, uh, because it was the stopping the spread of communism. We just don't have a great track record of, uh, overthrowing dictators and installing democratic states. Cause we overthrow dictators and normally just install our own.
0: Uh, yeah, it doesn't make me, uh, It doesn't solve the problem of my programming. I still want Mm. to stop the spread of communism on just a general tenant of my life. (laughs) And it's really hard, because I do. I came up with that, you know, blow them away kind uh, kind of attitude. And you know what? Speaking of violence not solving problems, the attitude of blowing people away, the article I want to talk about today was in USA Today. It's not something that I typically read or quote, but On Thursday, there was another mass shooting in Indiana where a man uh, went and purchased a gun the same day, went into the FedEx office and blew eight people away. Mm -hmm. This article was a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago, but the question it asks is, why does this keep happening, these mass shootings in Boulder, in Atlanta, in Indianapolis? Why does it keep happening, and why do we continue to pass legislation that weakens gun laws. Mm. Articles written by Crystal Hayes, and she talks about right after the Atlanta shooting that bills were passed to weaken mm. the actual gun laws. And I started thinking about this. Wait a minute. Every time I'm seeing these things happen, there are people around that don't do anything. And when we talk about, like, I own a concealed carry permit, and... I have not carried a gun in a long time. I I used to. I used to carry a weapon. I started carrying a knife because I heard that that scares people more than a gun, which it does. If you've ever had a knife pulled on you, it's really scary. I think more scarier than a gun. However, it rarely happens that a man or a woman carrying a concealed permit takes a weapon Mm. that he or she purchased and does something about it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of bystanders. There's a lot of people just watching these things happen that don't do anything. And I think that's a really crazy thing. And I'm going to quote Albert Einstein. How's that?
1: German philosopher.
0: The world is a dangerous place, not because of those who do bad things, but because of those who look on and do nothing. Mm. It's interesting a lot of my friends say, well, guns uh, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, I want to say to all of you friends who say that to me, people with guns kill people. So it's it really is the gun. I don't know why we have to loosen the laws. I don't know what it's going to take for us to actually have some kind of regulation, but I'm for it. It's a good article. You should read it.
1: Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, I, th- I think about this all the time, like, There's a myth in America of like a good guy with a gun is the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun. And so, like, our police are trained primarily in violent tactics, which we've seen so often also uh, wielded in ways that is painful and damaging. Um, I mean, we're living through right now the trial of Derek Chauvin, but then we had this the most recent shooting where a woman pulled, she was thinking she was going for a taser and instead went for a gun. Like, I think in the same way, that what you just named is like, where are all the good guys with a gun? It's the, it's the, it names that myth, which is people who are even trained at enacting violence, have a terrible track record at protecting people from violence. And more often than not, what happens is that they become agents of destructive violence themselves.
0: Yeah. And so Dante we have like Wright. Dante, right. That's yeah, the Dante one day, that,
1: Yeah. And you, and you So it's, it's exactly what you just said. Like I, and I think it's so rooted in, in a, In a myth of, of, there's a, there's a theologian called Walter Wink who talks about it as the myth of redemptive violence, that violence can redeem things, that violence can fix things. And I, and I think like, give us an example of a good guy with a gun, stopping somebody, stopping a bad guy with a gun. Like it seems like the track record really isn't proving out that well for us.
0: Right. In America, we are horrified by these shootings, horrified. Mm -hmm. And we post on our Instagram and we post up all the memes and we do all the things, but then we don't bond together and vote in some kind of protection for ourselves. Yeah. We don't do it. And I don't exactly know why. I don't know if it's just the NRA has so much damn money that they get what they want. And I, I believe that's probably part of it and maybe the majority of it. But on the other hand, just like when we were talking about uh, racism uh, during uh, Black Tuesday, I think, is that what it was called? Where everybody stopped on Instagram and- Oh uh, yeah, but their social really media, yeah. Di- the Black Lives Matter. And um, just like that, where people were saying, hey, it's it's not good enough just to say, I'm not racist. If you're not an anti-racist, if you're not doing something about it in your mm. life or in the lives around you, then you're you're- just as bad as a racist. You're not doing anything mm-hmm. to help. And the question is, is, if we stand by and watch these mass shootings, are we just as bad as the people who are, who are doing it? Like we're, we let, each one of us, let this unknown guy go and buy a gun on the same day because he was having a personal crisis he walked in, filled out the paper, was out in an hour, walked into FedEx, and blew people away. I guarantee you, if that happens to you, your family, or one of your friends, you're going to change your tune. It's just like when, when you have a good friend or someone commits suicide or die wrongfully, your tune changes. There's something different about that. And I don't wish that on anybody. I just wish we would do something about it and cast our vote, demand more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think this one is hard. I think this one is hard in a way that some of the other ones are not at an ideological level because it is so connected to like individual freedom. And it is also connected to like all the heroes that we celebrate and all of the stories that we valorize in our culture are about individual people Protecting others and using guns and using force to like defend themselves and others, and so I think that there's like this real story in our culture about what the possibility is for an individual to like protect others. So it feels like it just like to, to take away to restrict guns feels like it denies so many parts of the American story, and so I think it's like a lot of things that are having to be unraveled in order to believe that gun restrictions. Like to get to the place where you believe that gun restrictions will protect people feels like a lot of work has to happen ideologically. It's the, and it feels like even to the same. Like you mentioned this at the beginning. Like it's almost the same work that has to happen to decide whether or not troops in Afghanistan is a good idea or not. Like it's like the same myth is playing out in every one of those conversations and about like how do I protect my home and how do I protect others and how am I protected and how does America solve problems around the world. It's all the same story at some level. Yeah.
0: You know, I own some guns. I was raised a hunter. And maybe this might be the last thing I'll say on on this subject, but, um, well, two things. Australia, 20 years ago, made it illegal to have any weapon that was uh, more than just a single shot. And their crime went, went down by like 70, 80%. I don't know the exact statistic, but it was an incredible statistic. I'll find it and try to post it in the notes. Have you ever shot uh like high powered weapon mm mm-hmm. like assault rifle or any military weapon Mhm you have mhm what kind do you remember
1: yeah, I mean I grew up, similar to you, Christian I grew up hunting and shooting, and all my my godfather is like military guy from Texas. And so he grew up taking me shooting. So I've had a chance to shoot like an M16, an AR-15 that was like modded and, you know, a handful of different other high caliber like hunting rifles as well and stuff, so.
0: it's exhilarating, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's a little scary to have all that power in your hands. I don't think that we should allow the normal person to have those kinds of weapons. And I think some kind of gun restrictions would be great. I think those would be something that we should have. It's like uh, in Tombstone when they say you can't carry a gun in town and everybody gets all upset. And uh, Kurt Russell's like, we can't, I'm not saying you can't carry a gun, you just can't carry it in town, right? I'm not even saying we can't carry a gun. I just wish that we would have a little more, as a country, the ability to say, yeah we should make it harder for people to get a gun. We don't just let people walk in this country and become citizens. We don't just let them get a driver's license. Yes, it's a constitutional right to have a gun, but that doesn't mean you should be able to get it super, super easy, or especially if you're having a personal crisis, or you're crazy, or you're insane, or you're a felon, right? Like Those are kinds of things that we shouldn't be able to do. Mm. And I'm I'm in support of it. I, I I'm a gun owner, I'm a hunter, I produced a hunting television show, for crying out loud, and I still think we should have some kind of restrictions. This is like enough is enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the last time that I saw statistics in polling on like American favorability towards gun control, the majority of Americans do favor some measures of gun control, whether like universal background checks, like delayed purchasing, closing a loophole of gun shows. Like those are actually universally... Uh, poll, they poll very well in America. So I think it's interesting even what you just said, like America should do something about it. And it feels like uh, a lot of Americans are with you where it's like, yeah, <laughs> we agree. And then yet, you know, it's not happening.
0: If You know, if we don't do it as a country, though, what'll happen is just like people when they couldn't get the vaccinate, vaccine in California, a lot of people flew to Vegas and got their mm. Johnson & Johnson and came home, which, yep. great. They have the, they had them, Go for it. So if we don't do it as a federal law, like abortion, yep. people are just going to go to the state where they can buy the gun and then go yep. have their bad day. So it really yep. does need to be a full country, but last words. Hey, last words. Um,
1: in some ways, this is kind of like a heavy episode because we're talking about things that are rooted in violence and tragedy, whether that's the Afghanistan war or the mass shootings around us. So I'm continually convinced that we overhype the ability of violence and we underplay the power of relationships, the power of like connection, the power of hospitality. And so I know we didn't talk about any of those other things, but do you believe there's a lot of power to actually change the world around us um, if we would just get over our conviction that violence is a tool to solve problems?
0: And I am convinced that this world is a dangerous place because... Of people who just look and do nothing, and I don't want to be someone who looks and does nothing, just like Albert Einstein said.
1: That's right. Well, that ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't, go give us uh, some kind of review on the source that you listen to podcasts. Hopefully, like a good review, not a bad review. And then, more importantly, would you share this episode with somebody else so they can engage our same conversation? Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. If you want you have been listening to a smart guy and a dumb guy production a podcast exploring culture current events
0: and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum see you next time